Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other thing that we happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, geek, casual observer, or someone just floating through the channel, I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube whenever we have them scheduled. You can find that information on Instagram or on my website or on any social media platform. You can also find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the exact same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's also a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is July the 28th, and we are talking with... Martin and Jonah from Bespoken Spirits. Thank you guys for joining me. And Martin, I'll give you an opportunity to pronounce your last name and then I will not mention it again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, yeah, my name is Martin Janoschek. So, yeah, come from Czech Republic, actually. So, so I was born in Pilsen. That's where the name comes gotcha. from. And of course, I brew my own beer because of that. Mm-hmm. So, you, Thanks you, for having us. you work for, with, and own Bespoken Spirits. And um, you you started a brand from nothing, which is kind of a daunting task to begin with, um, but you don't necessarily come from the whiskey tradition, which is kind of a, a thing that happens on a regular basis where these people that are um, steeped in whiskey or bourbon or whatever tradition, like, oh, well, I've got a namesake, you know? So you're already like, running uphill like, what puts you in a position where you're like, I'm going to start a whiskey brand with almost nothing other than my sheer willpower. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you appreciate how tough it is to build a, to build a brand. And yeah, if I would have had any, any idea about it, but at the end of the day, it was really passion. And then sort of, sort of what I've, what I've done for the past 25 years, where it's a little bit about my background, other than that I brew my own beer, is that actually the, I grew up in Germany, uh, born, born in Czech Republic, grew up in Germany, spent there about like 25, 26 years, got a PhD in material science, and then I came to Silicon Valley uh, to work in a couple, couple of startups and, and after, yeah, whatever. 25 years, right, working as a VP of technology for a 3D printing company here or there, or a fuel cell company. I just really, really wanted to do something where I felt like uh, the experience that I gathered from a material science point, from a process point of point, really wanted to connect it with something, with something that I really, really like. I like eating. You can't see, but I love eating. I love drinking. And so, so wine and then and spirits have been, have been, have been always a passion and yeah, probably part of it also a midlife crisis where I'd really wanted to do something that you really, really enjoy. And it's 3 PM now here and in California. And I think it's, a, where else can you drink on the job without uh, being called an alcoholic? So, so that's kind of, that's kind of what started this. That, Kentucky, Kentucky is where you can drink on the job and not be called an alcoholic because, you know, it's like the birthplace of bourbon. It's 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 the center of all things. Um, and it's really centered around Bardstown specifically when you kind of get outside that ecosystem, then uh, some of the religious nature comes in and you're never, ever supposed to drink. So it's like this weird dichotomy that exists. But um, you're talking about the things that you've done in the past. And it feels like maybe maybe I'm wrong here, but it feels like 
you have a career of operating within like disruptive behavior behaviors and marketplaces, right? So looking at, you know, materials handling or 3D printing, like all these things are considered disruptors. Like, is that who you are? Like, are you that kind of person where you're like, ah, let's find a way to change whatever segment I'm working in? Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I would call myself like that, but probably probably the, all my, the rest of my family and everybody. And I was also lucky, right? You're going to have to get the opportunity to do something disruptive, right? And I was, and I, and I was fortunate starting with my PhD thesis and then every single job that I had after that, I always did something around innovation, right? which means like usually finding new materials for new applications for aerospace. What actually brought me here was a, was a, was a program to Mars. Right, an oxygen generator originally that 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 was supposed to be a launch for Mars. So yeah, so I guess yes, and then and then and I think that's where I also saw that huge value in, in trying to trying to get into the get into the spirits uh, industry with a different approach that we're using, right? That is that is that people would consider non non traditional. But hopefully, after we talk this a little bit about it, you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna see that we use only the traditional components. Right, no additives, nothing. Yeah, and I, I love the idea of of challenging tradition um, because you know oftentimes, and I, I tell this story at work all of the time. Um, the there's there's a story of this this woman who's you know setting out she's going to bake a ham for Thanksgiving, and so she pulls the ham out of the refrigerator and she cuts off both ends of the ham. She puts it in the pan and she's getting ready to bake it. And her child looks at her and says, "Hey, why'd you cut the ends off the ham before you put it in the oven?" And the woman's like, "I, I don't know. It's you know, it's, uh, my mom taught me how to make this." And so they're like, okay. So they go and they ask grandmother, like, hey, grandmother, why do you cut the ends off the pan? And she's like, I don't know. My, my mom told me the same thing. And, you know, they're in a lucky position where great grandmother's still alive. And so they go and they talk to great grandmother and they're like, hey, why do you cut the ends off the ham before you bake it? And she said, well, because whenever I was baking ham, the pan was, pan was only this big and the ham was this big. So I had to cut the ends off. So sometimes tradition is just born out of necessity in the past. And then you would sort of adhere to it. But I would challenge, you know, you said, you know, lucky, but if you want to be a true disruptor, like lucky, you can probably get away with that once, but there's some sort of a talent that comes into play. If you're doing it multiple times over and over, it's a skill, it's a talent, it's a thing that you've kind of built forward. But um, how disruptive do you want to be? Like what, what, what's the, what's the end goal of disrupting the whiskey marketplace? Are you trying to turn it on its ear or just do something new? With I target. So can you, can you repeat it? So, um, what is the what is the ultimate goal? Like, are you really wanting to turn whiskey industry on its ear, or you just want to do something new and different? You know, like how, how disruptive are you trying to be, or do you you don't know? You're yeah, just trying yeah. to do something fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, but uh, there's definitely I definitely want to have some fun, right? But the, the whole idea is really and not to be. We really see what we do is more like an like an addition, right, to the traditional way of making of making whiskeys, right? And then if we and, and once we once we talk a bit about it, right, we're really really focusing on the maturation part. And what we want to do is we want to bring uh, process control uh, science into the into the maturation part of spirits, right? We don't distill ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So we really see it as an opportunity for for doing things uh, differently. It doesn't have to be for 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 all kinds of spirits. Right, but it enables a lot for our brand. But also, we have a we have a second second leg of a business where we do maturation as a service, right? Mm -hmm. And that enables a lot of people to start with one 
uh, base spirit, right? But develop it in completely different, 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 different areas. So we we, we see ourselves as an addition to the to the to the industry rather than um, a substitution of, of what people are doing. Okay, and so you, you've you mentioned a couple of times, you know, you, you have this focus on sort of I don't want to say hacking, but but adding to the the traditional concepts of maturation. So wh- what is it that you are doing that is you know shareable that is different? You know, I'm I'm not asking for you know trade secrets or you know the the, the specifics of it, but like what's what what are you guys doing that's that's different? Because you know I, I see this quote: you use less than three percent of the wood that is traditionally used in aging. You know, yeah. How do you yeah. get there? Yeah. Yeah. So so. Uh... Definitely need to figure out where to where <laughs> where mm-hmm. to start because it, on one end it's really really simple and the other the other it's really really complicated. But it was all about John. It was all about understanding, trying to understand the sort of the the journey to understanding what is actually happening happening during maturation, right? What are the components? And we're actually lucky because we only have the spirit and we have the wood and then we have the environment. Right, so we kind of have three in input input variables that you kind of think it from a from a from from a process point of view, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's about understanding what each of these three components is contributing, right? What is coming from the spirit, right? What is coming from the what is coming from from the wood, and in particular with the wood, right? How can we how can we uh, treat the wood, whether that's toasting, whether that's charring, and we do all these things in house because we because we put a lot of attention onto how we toast, what precise temperatures for 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 exactly for how long, what atmospheres we're using, and 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 the same is true for how we source our sp- uh, the, the the wood that we need to be very very uh, particular in in sorting the wood, characterizing the wood because one of the big variations that comes in barrel aging, right, where we are able to mm-hmm. sell single barrels, right, one better than the other, is because a lot of these barrels are different, right, which which a lot comes either either from the starting wood or comes from the treatment, how it was treated, how it was charred, how it was toasted. And our idea was from the beginning, we need to understand um, the, the, the how these different uh, three components impact the aroma, taste, and color of a spirit. And once we understand what is happening, then we should be able to control those. So the name bespoken comes from the idea to be able to really, once you understand and once you're able to control the maturation process, you should be able to customize the spirit towards the fantasies, any direction you want to take it to. And our process takes about uh, four days which is a huge advantage when it comes to learning cycles. And that's sort of where mm-hmm. my engineering background comes in. I, I realized if we can really learn within four days when we treat a piece of wood, when we try it, try different types of wood, when we try different distillates with different combinations of wood, right? And, and I can get mm-hmm. a result within, within four days rather than four years, right? You have a huge learning uh, advantage against uh, over the over the uh, traditional the traditional uh, uh, process which enables you to really convert this to your point right so that the cutting the ham is kind of an experience right it was not based on knowledge but it was experience right and sort of what 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 i'm hoping to do is kind of bring or transfer the experience driven industry right into 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 a knowledge driven industry approach so, so you, you you mentioned in there you know kind of the, the speed to understand the, this is the thing that's always been 
sort of magical to me in the distilling industry is, you know, a, a distiller comes up with a new idea for a mash bill and then they go out and they try it out. And, and this is something that, you know, Jim Beam was doing in the, you know, early 2000s or even before that in the late 90s when nobody wanted whiskey. They were going out and trying new things. They were making rice, uh, rice based bourbon and they were doing all of these unique things, trying to find a way to kind of get there. But they had no idea if it was ever going to be good. Right. Like they, they, they made the thing, you know what the base distillate tastes like. And you're like, I think it's going to be OK. But then you put it into a barrel and you hope that it doesn't come out tasting like hot garbage. Um, so when you're talking about what you're doing here, it, your advanced aging technique, is this doing this at scale or are you testing out the theory and then, you know, OK, we can take this hypothesis and put it in barrels and, and um, get it to market uh, based off of like testing the hypothesis. Does that make sense? Those, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I understand okay. the question. Yeah, so actually we do both, right? We do in the okay. lab, and we typically actually only use like four-ounce samples, most of our mm -hmm. samples and, and experiments in the lab. And you have to think about it when we start a series of experiments. We have like 30, 40 different combinations, but we can also do that on scale, right? We have mm -hmm. a huge capacity and put producing 10,000s, right, 10,000s of, 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 of um uh, cases cases a year right so we mm -hmm. do this we, we we use it for development of the recipe but then also also for the production part so whenever you whenever you scale from the four ounce experiment up to the you know thousands of gallons or whatever you happen to do um does it always turn out the exact same way like are you getting that degree of specificity in your output that like it just never varies or is there still some slight variation yeah. that occurs no, and that was that was sort of when when I when I talked about we need to understand what's happening, right? We need mm -hmm. to understand how those different components contribute, right? So that was sort of that was also the first thing we had to prove within the first two or three years, right? Can we scale from what literally started in my garage ten feet from here, right? Can we scale this? Mm -hmm. And based on anything that we can measure, you know how it is with tasting, right? I give you three spirits, I tell you. One of them, I think, is the best, right? And you're going to, you and actually they are the same. And I'm sure mm -hmm. you're going to pick one of those three and say, yes, I agree with you. This one, this one, this one's really better. Right. So, but based on anything we can measure, right, today and based on the tasting panel and training the taste, tasting panel for these, for these, for these, for these comparisons, yeah, they turn out mm -hmm. the way they were supposed to be. Otherwise, otherwise it's difficult, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, and I didn't know if you were like, just, you know, we're, you know, 1% off of the original variation, but that's, that's pretty impressive to be able to take a four ounce test sample, scale it up because even in, you know, major manufacturing <laughs> industries, oh, they'll yeah, go from yeah. their, their proof of concept to the actual end product. And they'll be, they allow a variance, either they allow a, you know, 5% variance or, you know, whatever. Um, that That's, that's yeah. really, really interesting, but I guess it makes sense for your background and, and what you yeah, no, and John, I would be lying if we didn't have problems early on, right, till we figured mm -hmm. out because you scale certain things, you think you can just scale them, but then they have an, an impact on the atmosphere, right, and all kinds mm -hmm. of things change, but yeah, but but the process development is made that way that we can scale it. All right, let me, I got to dig through here because I've got like 47 different ways yeah. that I can go through this. <laughs> um, so one of the one of the things I want to mention specifically is that you guys uh, provided me with a couple of samples. Um, we have a rye and I have a burb, the straight bourbon. Um, and, and I told you when we were kind of, before we started up, 
uh, I'm reluctant to give any tasting notes because I had <laughs> a situation that impacts my ability to taste things appropriately about two weeks ago. Um, and so uh, we already had the schedule and I didn't want to try to reschedule on you guys or anything, but I'm going to come back to these. I've already tasted and I have my impressions. I think most of my taste buds are back, but I don't want to be like, oh, well, this tastes slightly off for me. And then, you know, two weeks from now, I'm like, oh, no, this is way better than it was. Um, two weeks ago for me, but um, in going through them, you know, I spent a little bit of time on the website that you guys have created, which is a beautiful website. Um, I find sometimes you have sort of two categories that exist in whiskey websites. They're either awful or they're great. And that is the only thing that exists. And you guys are in that, in that um, situation. <laughs> but one thing I knew I could do is you have a lot of pairings, which is a unique thing to do. Not a ton of people are, yeah. are putting out pairings or cocktails. Like those are always afterthoughts. Um, for mm-hmm. most whiskey companies because they want the whiskey to stand on its own. And so I actually took some yeah. time because those are things I felt like I could trust. Like, oh, I know what apple pie tastes like. And, you know, I can see how mm-hmm. this kind of impacts mm-hmm. whatever. And so with the bourbon, the the two things that you guys put on the, the website are um, not two, two of the things that I looked at um, was doing truffles or doing apple pie. I have a little apple pie and kind of tasted it along with it. And it was fantastic. Like the, the bourbon itself tastes like a 94 proof bourbon. That's the first thing for me is that, you know, I catch myself getting caught up in things that are either 13 years old or 130 proof. And so coming down to 94 proof sometimes tastes thinner, but it's still really, really good. Um, but whenever I paired it with the truffle, you guys had put one on there. I went and picked up truffle. It sort of tasted like a really high end, like chocolate liqueur filled chocolate. You know, like you get those around the holidays, they've nice. got a little bit of liqueur in them, but they're really, really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the one you might buy for your boss for a Christmas present, like, oh, I'm going to get a package of these to, to give to him or whatever. Um, is what it came out like. It was delicious. You know, like, I'm glad you love it and, uh, you like it and, and, the pairing is something that is that is that is so important to me mm-hmm. because I actually was shocked, right, that we do all these wine pairings, right? You you eat your oysters, right? You have to have Chablis with it, right? Or maybe mm-hmm. champagne, right? If it's more or less the same region. Right. Then right you have your you have your mushroom risotto, right? You have to have a Pinot with it, right? And then you move to your move move to your steak, right? And you have a Syrah or a cab or whatever, right? But but up to recently, right? People have not really thought about pairing this pairing pairing spirits with food, right? It's always either pre-thought in in your in your cocktail when you come to a restaurant, mm-hmm. or afterwards to sit at the at the fire pit with the with the with a cigar, and 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 we actually try to do this a lot. We try to do uh, over over Zoom, thanks to thanks mm-hmm. to COVID, we're right? a little bit limited. Where we did a lot of chocolate pairings with the mm-hmm. working with a local chocolatier. Right, trying to figure out what pairings work well right, for the different spirits. And then we do it a lot with, with, with restaurants here in California where we actually work with the chef and they come up with a five to seven um, uh, course menu where they pair the spirits with every, with every course. And people are just blown away. And I have to admit, I was so blown away when we did it the first time ourselves. I, I, I believe it was, it was the, the most amazing experience I had myself. And and one and first people are kind of like, what? I'm gonna have whiskey with my food. But once you do mm-hmm. it, it's just it's just it's just incredible. It makes sense. And so, so so I'm glad you tried tried some of the pairings and and nothing is nothing is so much depends on your own mm-hmm. own preferences, of course. Right? If you don't like truffle like my dad, right? I probably <laughs> wouldn't tell him to to to, to, to try with our whiskey. Right. But, <laughs> 
No, I, I'm definitely we're, we're we're truffle fans here, and I and I know the rest of the truffles are probably being eaten by my children right now, um, because I brought them home and you know kind of tasted through it after lunch today, and they're downstairs alone with them. I, I know they're gone, Uh-oh. but you know it was it was a thing that definitely is is going to connect f- for us. And, and you're very much you're you're right on to something. Is is this idea of pairing whiskey is a relatively new concept, and I've I've been baffled by this as well because. I came to whiskey like I I was born and raised in Kentucky, and so bourbon has always been a thing that's around me. But when I first started appreciating food and beverages, it started with wine. You know, there, there was a movie that came out in the '90s called Sideways, and I was talking to a guy about this last week, and he had you know it's about this character Paul Giamatti plays, and you may have seen the movie, but you know, he's really oh, into yeah, Pinot Noir, like that's 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 his thing. And and I watched the movie, and I was like, I. I I am the person that wants to be that attached to my food and beverage and things that I consume. And I'm like, Oh no, now I've got to do this. But being in rural Western Kentucky is not really conducive to like getting good, hard to find or um, better than just cheap wine. You know, they, they, a lot of Sutter home around here, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, barefoot or, or whatever you happen to be. And th- those all serve a purpose, but um, that's where you start. Like you start, you start with wine and you're like, okay, well, this wine goes with this particular type of food and this wine goes with this type of food. Yeah. And that's never been a huge consideration. Um, there was a Peggy, no Stevens was pushing it some years ago, but it just mm-hmm. never getting any traction because it, you're exactly right. It's the, let's, let's sit and have a cigar. Or let's, you know, we've already eaten our meal. Now it's time to drink whiskey. <laughs> um, but more recently people are pairing and that is, it's great. It's great to see that. Um, and so far the, the pairings that you guys put together for the bourbon and for the rye both seem very, very, very appropriate. And mm-hmm. I was, yeah. I was very interested in that because like I said, m- most people are not going down that path. They're, they're, they're having their whiskey yeah. and they're like, ah, oh, it's, it's a whiskey. Mm-hmm. You make sure you drink a bunch of water beforehand. Don't eat anything else because it'll impact your flavor buds. You know, you know, it's that, it's that super pretentious nature that they're trying to pick up. Um, and you can and still it's, do it's it, right? Either yeah. either, you can still do it, right? But what helps mm-hmm. us a little bit, I have to admit, John, is right the variety of spirits that we have. Right? We, we, we talked mm-hmm. about the straight, you talked about the rye. We have something we call a Japanese style whiskey, right? Super floral, super fruity, super light. If you haven't had this, let let me know. It's it's one of, it's one of my favorite. Right? It's so different. Right, and we have our we have our original batch, right, which is again right same ash bill actually, but has just is much more oh caramel vanilla driven, right, which which then enables you actually to do these different pairings, right, like our American light which whiskey, which is like sweet honey, uh, almond, marzipan, right. So because they're mm-hmm. so different in their in their characteristics, you can actually start pairing them with very different, with very different food, right? Because otherwise, if you have one expression, it's hard to say. Yeah, it matches five five different courses. So that's been right. something. Even like our rum that we're making, right? That is that is that is just beautiful. But yeah, and I, I had on here a list. You know, we've got bourbon. We've got more than one kind of bourbon. But you've got bourbon. You've got rye. You've got light whiskey you've got rum and then you have the special batch mm-hmm. which was the one that caught me like i saw the special batch whenever i was kind of poking through mm-hmm. and doing the research and i was like oh what's this and i look at like <laughs> japanese i'm like oh that's super even you know, like yes. even more interesting um do you have any other categories you're targeting like have you looked at doing like an american single malt or anything along that lines or you know yeah 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 we're actually working with uh, we're actually working with a local uh, distillery on a mesquite mm-hmm. uh, smoked uh, malt whiskey 
Mm-hmm. And, and then I mentioned earlier that we don't distill ourselves, right? So working in some cases work with the big guys, in some cases with the, with the small guys, and we're trying to actually implement more and more of those uh, special batches where we work with more and more local distilleries, like our rum comes actually out of Huntington Beach, right? Also mm-hmm. from California, and the next one most likely is gonna be most likely is gonna be like a whiskey smoked uh, uh, malt whiskey. And are you uh, are you allowed to talk about what brands you're working with, or do you have NDAs on those? Oh, I I, you don't, you, ask. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, 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 that's fine. I, I don't want to. Like I said, if I ask a question, like because we do have NDAs, that, like, but I'm always like, why would you not want us to mention that? I should, I should first ask. So yeah, right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But, but we and, only and the have main like, reason California. Yeah. Sorry. The, the main reason I asked is because I was talking to uh, a guy who's written some wine books um, last week on an episode. His name's Michael Jurgens, but he also has SoCal wine or SoCal rum company in California. And then he's also working on a Bhutan wine company in Bhutan, the, the country, you know, that's out in the, the Himalayas or whatever. And I was like, eh, you know, oh, wow. you may be a direct competitor with him now, or you might be a, a, a consuming some of his whiskey to be able to make. Um, and then you, it, it also mentioned on the website that you're doing some prototyping of whiskey ideas for major distillers. I, you can't share those, but that, that was, I don't know, it was on the website or in an article that I read one or the other. Yeah. 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 It's true. So our second, our second leg of the business is what we call maturation as a service where we work with mm-hmm. distillers, rectifiers, uh, grocery chains, right. That want to have their own, their own white labeled uh, product. Right. Mm-hmm. And this can be in any category, right? We can, we can apply this. I mentioned that we do rum. Right? We talked about malt whiskey. We've made excellent brandy. We've, we've made a tequila that won double gold in San Francisco. We're working on a mezcal project where we, where we start with the, with the, with the starting spirit from the, from the customer, right? Very often it's actually already aged, John, right? We were surprised how often people come with a four year, five year, six year old product and they are not happy with it. Right? Mm-hmm. And they want us to move it towards a different to, to, towards a different tasting profile, mm-hmm. and and so that's actually about about fifty percent of our about fifty percent of our business. And the beauty with this with this is that because we it's so important for us that we have these learning cycles, right? And there are probably not that many companies out there who have worked with hundreds of different starting spirits. Right, and mm-hmm. you, you think about the big guys. Right, I have no idea how many how many different uh, 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 distillates they work with. Right, but we know a lot of a lot of the big guys probably have one, two, three different ones. Yep. Right, so the beauty for us is because we have the capability or the, the possibility to work with so many different uh, starting spirits. Right, we're learning a lot about the distillate itself. Right, what needs to be in the distillate to get to a certain end profile. Because kind of back to the original thing, right? If you're looking for a specific profile on the spirit, if in some cases, right, if you don't have it in the starting spirit, right, you'll never get to it in the in the end in the end because either either there, there's an oxidation reactions where it takes part, or it's an esterification reaction where something reacts from the spirit with something that comes out of the barrel, and if it's not there. Right, you are never gonna get it, and this is this is again the big advantage of our learning cycles that we learn so much about the distillate at the same time as we learn about the maturation process, and and, and how, how how critical both of them are to get to a specific spirit profile. 
So, so I and I want to make sure I, I capture this appropriately. It sounded like you said in there that folks will show up. You know, some distillers might show up with what me, might be considered substandard or off profile or something that they don't really want, and they're they're having you sort of shift it in a different direction. So you may be saving something that might have ended up being dumped out. Is that is, is that a correct statement? Yeah, like you, yeah, 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 yeah. Either dumped out or they sell it to somebody else. Right. right. They're, they they're passing it off. It they're for, not going to put it in their main main pro yeah, flavor profiles yeah, or yeah, do anything yeah. with, and they have a choice of how do we get rid of it, but you're able to potentially save it for them. Yeah, yeah. And and some of it think is John is also either either in some cases it's because also the consumer has changed over the past five, six, seven, mm -hmm. eight years, right? And things you might have put down, right, based on based on consumer preferences that were that were five or ten years ago. Right. It probably won't happen in your standard bourbon, bourbon category, but some of the other categories, especially where people were ex exploring, experimenting, or especially new distillers, right? Yeah. Uh, new craft distillers who didn't have the experience, right? For them, it's really, really tough if, if they had a, had a brandy company that had it five years in the barrel and they said, well, you know, I either bring it to Martin and his team, right? And I'll, I'll know within a week whether I like it or I have to wait another one year, two year, three year, four year. Right, there uh, was a was a lady. She said, "I don't know, so I rather <laughs> I rather try mm -hmm. you guys." <laughs> so uh, I did have one question about this particular bourbon, and maybe you can't disclose. Is this a is this a, a high what would be considered a high rye mash bill on this bourbon? Yeah, twenty one rye. Oh, okay, you, you can't disclose. I didn't know if you if you knew it or not. You know, because yeah, yeah. uh, I didn't I didn't poke around for mash bills at all. Like that. I usually do that, but I just didn't mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really good. I, I I mean, I enjoy a high rye mash bill because you know everybody who's looking for some spice or some proof or whatever, like it gives you a little more, you know, kind of kind of kick to it. Um, now I gotta look at. Uh, so whenever you kind of going back, you know, we had somebody that was in chat that asked a question, but then they answered their own question because they were like, Hey, what, what do I need to look for, for uh, pairing bourbon? And then they went to your website and they found what they were looking for. Right. So they got their own answer, oh, nice. but who makes the pairings? Like, is, is the, do you do this? Do you have a sensory panel? Does do you, if you have somebody hired, like how do you get to these pairings? We do it. We have a sensory panel. And then, and then to your point, right. A lot of people like it. So I, I, I still don't believe there's only one way of doing certain things. Mm -hmm. Right. So we kind of take the, we kind of take the, 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 the feedback from the, from, from the internal and also external uh, sensory panel of what they, what they, what they're suggesting. And in some cases also working with the chefs, like with, with the, with the chocolate, where with the chocolatiers, right. They mm -hmm. actually, right. After, after we supply them, because they're, they're, they're the experts on chocolate. I love chocolate, right. but I wouldn't myself an expert right and also tasting chocolate right and then so so together with them we kind of went through and tried different uh, tried uh, different uh, truffles right and then decided yeah this one this this one pairs beautifully here and the other and it's hard to say right in some cases you can't say right this really tastes awful with something else right <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and, i mean there, there's an occasion where that can happen for individuals you know just the the, the flavors mm -hmm. don't hit you particularly right um, and you know it just sort of happens and i would well, i would highly high, highly recommend right next time you just have a couple of people over right just try things right try yep. different types of chocolate right even even if you only have two different types of chocolate at home 
right or different ice cream right or whatever it is just just try mm-hmm. yourself right and just just the experience the enjoyment together with friends right and i know i'm stealing this from somewhere else right but you should always drink whiskey with friends right because that's the way that's the way and if you then can pair it with food right and maybe not mm-hmm. just the dessert or something sweet and then i think i think the experience is even you're not wrong. Uh, br- brown spirits are generally better consumed in company. That's where I've always been. You're like whether it's a, you know like an aged rum or a whiskey of any type, or even some aged tequilas. Like those are all things that you know they're contemplative, they're communal, they're all of those things that sort of bring people together. Um, but it does kind of get you to that point to where you can say, oh, you know, like we can all three taste this and we can see how things are different. And that's, yeah. I love, yeah. I love tastings for being able to hear what other people think. I hate with tastings mm-hmm. that are, you know, uh, pretentious and it's like, oh, well you should be tasting these five things. Well, you know, if I've, you know, you mentioned marzipan earlier, right? A lot of people have never had marzipan, so they can't taste it. They've never had it before in yeah. their life. They don't know what that is. <laughs> or currants, like a currants is another one that people will bring up on a regular basis. Like mm-hmm. currants don't grow in the United States. You might have had currant jelly, yeah. which is a different flavor than that. And yeah. but yeah. hearing how people react to whiskey is is it's really fun. You know, it's 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 an interesting experience that kind of comes along. Um, so. Yeah. I, I wanted to go back to this quote that I came from, that I got from the website. You're mapping the spirit genome, right? This is a, this is a thing off of the website. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and you've talked a little bit about that, but could you expand on that a little more like what that specifically means? You're, you're getting down to, to, to flavor profiles or to chemical structures or like, what, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, and please, please stop me if I get too far, too far, too far down, you, down. You the, won't, down man. The web, this this the, is this the, is the right place for that. <laughs> We're the ones that go. Yeah, let's let's go as deep as you want to go. I'm the one. So, so, so when we talk about this, it's really about understanding, right? How is the spirit? How is the spirit made of? Right. So when we start with the with the starting spirit, we call it a fingerprint, right? We take a chemical fingerprint of the starting spirit, right? We typically focus somewhere around. 250 maybe 300 300 components right that 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 we have identified that others have identified right that people consider critical for 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 instance for a bourbon right usually the starting spirit actually has significantly less of them right and then we compare it with after the maturation process right so we so we take again a chemical fingerprint right and then and then we analyze what has actually happened and the crazy part is, right, you could have never done this 20, 30 years ago because we didn't have the, even though I'm getting old, but, but I'm still going to say 30 years ago, we didn't have the computer power, right? Now you can think suddenly there are like hundreds of reactions that are taking place, right? You're trying to figure out what happened, right, to component A, where is it now, right, in, in your in your end, end, end result, right? So a lot a lot of what we are doing is, is, is data science, right, to try to understand uh, what happened with the help of the with the with the help of the chemistry, right? And once we once we kind of look at before and after, right? Then we build these models and correlations with when we treat, when we toast, when we char, when we use different types of woods, when we use a different uh, temperature, you different different atmosphere, right? How does that actually impact all these different components? So that we kind of have levers when we're looking for a specific profile. Right. What are the levels that we that we have to in parentheses turn, right? That we get to more vanilla, right? That we get to more banana, right? That we get to more uh, the, the ripe apple, 
Right. And uh, yeah, Apple Pie thing is a good good example where a lot of people get the get actually Apple Pie actually even 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 from the from the from the from the uh, straight bourbon that we make. So it's really the when we talk about this it's really about understanding the fingerprints, right, of the, the composition of the composition of the of the of the spirit before and after the maturation process and then being able to make conclusions on how to how to how to treat the wood, etc. And we call this we call this craft maturation, right? Because we're putting so much craft into in into understanding in, in into treating, right? Highly precisely, right? Uh, the wood and then then also the maturation, just like like people do. I believe in distillation, also fermentation, right? We know today so much more about the the impact of yeast, right? Which people didn't know hundred hundred. 100 years ago, nobody cared about it, right? We were all using uh, the spirits yeast, right? Or the stiller's mm-hmm. yeast, right? To make, to, make, to, to make whiskey. But people are starting to understand all these things. And that's, that's as crucial as what we do. Yeah. It's, you know, thinking about um, Pat Heist at Wilderness Trail, you know, they've got 10,000 plus different yeast strains that they're holding on to and doing some expansion mm-hmm. on. And I was talking with a distiller out of Indiana and he does a lot of wild capture yeast to, to try to go to old distilling sites and see if he can capture, you know, ancestry yeast of what was there whenever they were actually making the whiskey, because that's what you did. Like, you know, 150 years ago to make whiskey, you had to capture yeast from somewhere. And um, what was interesting to me during the pandemic, everybody started making sourdough bread, right? Like just making it in their homes or, or doing whatever they were capturing yeast. That's exactly, they were doing a wild capture of yeast. But um, you said in here, craft maturation and, um, I love the term craft, but it's at this point, at least in my impression uh, within the whiskey industry where craft is sort of has this like, it's an identifier that people are like, oh, well, that's just craft, right? But but it, there, there's this bigger category. It's these people that are really focusing on intentionality and what they're doing. Um, you're doing craft maturation, um, but going back to that 3% of wood, you know, you're using 3% of the normal amount of wood. Like, you know, we know that, that bourbon requires to be in a new oak container. You know, how mm-hmm. how do you get to being able to honor that new oak container but use 3% of the wood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. And and so we should we should always say it's up to 30%, uh, 30 times less, right? From our okay. seven SKUs that we have today, right, we can only claim that for four out of those seven, right? Because to your point, mm-hmm. right, thanks to the TDB, whoever came up with those okay. laws, right, the spirit has to be in the barrel first. Right, and which was, it was never really our intention originally, but if you want to compete with the best out there, Right, like you want to compete with the with the with with the big guys, right? And you want to compete in this in the in the straight bourbon category, right? And you want to show because be that's 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 what most people care about, or, or the rye category, like like our straight who won twice in mm-hmm. a row now double gold in San Francisco, right? We have to we have to kind of kind of kind of put it in the barrel first, yeah. Okay, so that 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 sort of answers that question that I was kind of having around that, and you know, I, I'm. I work in ag technology and so the term sustainability gets tossed around a ton and being cognizant of the resources we consume and making things is very, very important. You know, like how much wood is being used, how much water is being used, where does the waste go after the back? You know, like the, all of the, the distillers waste, like there are projects in Kentucky on a regular basis that are like, 
what do we do with the millions of gallons of distiller's waste that we have every single year? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's only so many cows in this state that will eat spent distiller's yeast or st- spent distiller's grain. Yeah. Um, you know, like yeah. we, just, we don't have enough animals to consume it. What do we do with it? But um, you guys focus pretty heavily or have a lot of uh, sort of, you know, documentation around sustainability. What, what does that mean for a brand like Bespoken Spirits? Like how, how do you guys impact sustainability? Yeah, we kind of look at our entire process, right? Other than that, I also drive a Prius, right? I can't mm-hmm. afford a full electric yet, but hopefully one day, right? We look at the entire process and kind of to your point, so so that the wood consumption is one part, right? The next one is electricity, right? Or the energy that it takes, right? For the maturation process, mm-hmm. right? Because our process is so short, right? We're estimating it somewhere to be literally only in the one or 2%, right? Of what you would traditionally need, right? Especially if you start heating some of those, some of those rig houses, right? All the other people, the people that have to move things, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And, and then we also, the angel share is a really interesting one, right? Because we have, we have some loss of, of, of spirit to the wood because the wood soaks it up. Right, but it's a uh, we don't we we don't lose twenty twenty five thirty depending on how long you actually mature the spirit, right? And if you when you actually look at that part, that you could reduce your 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 CO two right footprint by twenty thirty percent for your entire process chain, right? Because you're literally losing this, right? That that is actually mm-hmm. the biggest the biggest contributor to the to the to the co2 footprint that you have and going forward we're looking for more and more initiatives that we want to do right hopefully one day of being carbon neutral and all these things we're still a relatively small company and and relatively young right this is sort of our second year second year where we're actually selling with the with the with the with the distributor over the over the u.s we are now in eight in eight eight states in the u.s of course with focus on california and also, also Florida. So the, you, you mentioned something we probably should have, I probably should have asked this like right off the rip at the very beginning of this. <clears throat> Is there a place where I can go buy this online? So if I'm not in a place where I've got local distributorship, yeah. where should I be yeah. going to buy this? Because people want this. <laughs> so you know that I'm not allowed to mention only one, right? So I think you have to mention at least a couple of them. But right. the easiest might be actually and the most the most legally correct answers probably if you want to unless you want to support so so yes yeah, so go to our website first mm-hmm. and then wherever you live you can type in your 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 area code or your town and then you can see if there's a local if there's a local store a local mm-hmm. bar and and should you not find somebody local right then you can order through our website right through a through a third party right you can order and i think i think there's a flat rate of 15 dollars but don't 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 cite me on that right and then you can get it yeah almost you, you don't it, we, we won't hang you on the cost of it just <laughs> like where can i go to pick this up because now i now i also know like yeah. i've got a so go, rewinding a little bit right you, you mentioned the mm-hmm. special batch is the special batch on your website or is it some like because i, I yes, have to go find yes, this now can... I, have to, I have to be able to get one and, and to have it in, in my house um, because I'm interested yes. in what you're doing with Japanese whiskey, but it, so it is on the website as well. Yeah. Yes, and you can also go. Maybe that's also a good, a good, good recommendation. Go to winesearcher.com, 
right? And yeah. as you know, they also have spirits and there you'll yeah. find who actually offers it online and you're going to find a couple of them. The safest is definitely through the website because some mm -hmm. of the retailers might claim they have it and then they don't have they it don't depending actually. on how good they are really with their inventory monitoring. But so, so the safest, right. if you're looking for a particular one, it's the website. Yeah. And there are, and I, I won't name any names, but there are several websites that don't actually ever have any inventory and they actually sell, they, they resell something that they'll get from another website or they'll find a local retailer that has it. And so they don't oh, actually yeah. have stock at all. I've, I've had this happen before where I ordered something yeah. from another state because it, there was not availability at a local retailer, um, doesn't have distribution in Kentucky. And, they held on to the order for like three months and then they're like, Oh, well, we can't actually get this product. The, the, the supplier we were going to get it from, which I found out was another store yeah. just didn't have it. They, because they hadn't updated their online inventory or something along that lines. So you go to bespoke spirits.com. That's the place where you want to be to sort of start off with, um, in a journey and to be able if, to pick up whatever there is. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody of your, of your listeners or viewers, right, has issues, please reach out to me at info at bespoken.com, right? And we'll, we'll figure, we'll, we'll figure out a way. So, um, what you guys are doing, you know, there's been a ton of companies that have attempted accelerated aging and with mixed results. Do you consider this accelerated aging or just a different aging, alternative aging? Yeah, for us, the acceleration part, right, is really an enabler to what we what we mm -hmm. wanted to do, right, to to the to the customization part, right. It's really an an, an enabler, and it's not just the acceleration part, right, because if what what we believe a lot of people have tried in the past, right, was taking a product from a from a from a point A to a pro product to a point B, right, on mm -hmm. a time scale, right. For us, it's really taking it, and I'm stealing this from my co-founder Stu, right, taking it from A to B, C, D, F, G, right, you name it, right, in all mm -hmm. kinds. It's not just about taking it on the timeline, right, but it's really completely, I mean, changing whether that's the color, whether that's the characteristic, whether that's the mouthfeel, right. So for us, the, the to be able to do what we are doing, we, we have to do it fast because otherwise we won't get the learning cycles, right, we won't understand the chemistry, right, we need the precision. And, and, and so, so for us, it, we, we consider it more like a, like a tool, right. To be able to mm -hmm. what we want to do. Okay. Um, so you, you've got a co-founder Stu who, who's a part of this. Um, and you guys have been doing this for two years. So, you know, I, are, yeah, it's are been you doing... five years on my end? Oh, it's been five... so, so he, he, has he only been oh, a part yeah. of this for two years. So he hasn't suffered as long as you. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Um, yeah, I spent three years in my garage. Do? Yeah, are, are you a hundred percent of bespoken spirits? Oh, or are you yeah. still like, carry oh, yeah. another job no. too? No, 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 a hundred percent for five that's years. Good. That's and that's. I had that's my scary. first investor meetings in the garage. I had to, uh, my wife had to give away half of the garage. I still used her washers to 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 store store equipment and everything. And mm -hmm. had to run, had to run. Um, you know, uh, power cords through the whole house. She hated that. was It was a hazard. But but I think I think I think we're good again. <laughs> yeah, you know sometimes, it, you know I started this podcast just so I could excuse having a bunch of bottles to my wife. Like that's <laughs> I was like you know like I got to have a reason to have these now. I'm like eh, I'll just start a podcast. You know because you know the the world doesn't need another whiskey podcast or YouTube channel. Like that's not a thing that's needed. But. I needed an excuse. And so that was, that was how I did it. You just, you have a whiskey brand. 
which is, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the thing. I need to tell my wife I should start a whiskey brand. She'll love that idea. Um, so you also you know, had the rye, right? Have yeah, no, I was, I was actually drinking through that just in a second. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. The, the, so going back to the pairings, right? So that same truffle that I had with the bourbon, that made it taste like a liqueur with the rye. It came out more like, um, have you had a truffle where they've done like uh chili in it? Like a, a like a Thai chili or some other type of spicy chili that that kind of accentuates that dark chocolate flavor that exists. That's what came out for me whenever I paired it up. And then when I put it with the apple pie, it became like if you go to a really nice restaurant that tries to make an apple pie where they're adding in nutmeg and baking spice and doing all these other things to kind of like, you know, like punch up what an apple pie is. This did that. But um, then I backed off of it and waited a little while and just tried the rye itself. And, you know, obviously I want to hit it again in a couple of weeks when my uh, palate is maybe back to where it should be. This is really, really good. And, you know, I told you before we started, this was one that surprised me mainly because, you know, you've got a straight rye over here that's aged at least two years or, or sorry, a straight bourbon that's aged at least two years. We have some, you know, connotations of what two years means for whiskey drinkers. But whenever I look at, three months my brain automatically flips to this idea of like this is not gonna be good and it was really good like i was very impressed with what came out of this alone and i can only imagine it'll get better as my palate gets better yeah. i'm glad you like the rye it's, it's my personal favorite too just because it's from its complexity and i and it, i love this with other with other with other spirits too or you even wine right even like minutes later right and hopefully mm -hmm. you'll 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 remember this in, in five or ten minutes, right? Man, Ma, Martin told me I can still, I'm still getting aromas, right? I'm still, I'm still yeah. taking the spirit. And it definitely sticks with it's you. Burning, it's not because it's burning my, 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 my tongue or my throat, but it's because, right? All those, all the, all, the, all this complexity is still, mm -hmm. is still coming from, from, from the back of your throat. So I just love the complexity of it. It's more of an, and for me, usually with rise and, and, you know, this kind of comes in and some of the seven or eight year old rise that I've had in my past, in, in the past, there's, there's an effervescence that comes sort of like from, you know, things that have a high mint content or peppermint content they have that it, your, your brain can translate that as burn, you know, like something that's really, really cold can have a burn, but it's more of an effervescence, almost like what's left behind after drinking something carbonated or whatever. Like there's just this thing that keeps happening and, and you're exactly right it stays there you know i took my sip two minutes ago three minutes ago and it's still still hanging out it's still doing the the same thing that um it was doing all along um who's the target consumer like who are you after whenever you, you, you whenever you build a brand you're like all right i'm gonna build a brand but then you have to go through the the not so fun part of like building the business plan for it like who am i going to target what's our expenses all of these things like who who is the premier candidate for bespoken spirits right now? Yeah, it's interesting, John. And there's something you mentioned. I'm not from I'm not from the beverage industry. So when we when we when we started making spirits, right, we thought about we'll just make the best spirits that are out there, right? And people mm -hmm. are going to like it. Right. And but there is but there's certainly a target group which is which is kind of more like not sure this is fair to say, but it's probably more the modern, the younger consumer. Mm -hmm. Right, people who also, if you kind of look at the skews that we have, right, people who want to try different things, right, who want who want to try a bourbon, who want to try a rye. So we kind of we kind of looking for the for the sort of modern consumer that wants to explore, that wants to try, 
and who is also open to this whole thing about pairing pairing with the with the with the with, with the food whether that's with chocolate or with or with or with yeah like we said earlier right next time you have a steak right i would definitely try to use it try it try it with a bourbon and then may, maybe have a ride home and just try both of them right you don't have to get drunk but just 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 to get the experience to see right is the one that you prefer over the over the other so 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 we believe that sort of our target group right is more like them let's call them the modern consumer right somebody who has not been drinking every night the same the same kind of dram mm-hmm. right but somebody who is who wants to try different things and, and kind of enjoys and then enjoys that by doing so and that you know uh did you do a ton did you have somebody like go out and do a ton of market research before you began or you just had an idea and you ran with it we had an idea and ran with it so that that was, that, was had... gonna be my, that was gonna be my suspicion because i would guess and i appreciate the effort and i think that there's going to be success here but most market researchers would say that whiskey people are you know if you're targeting whiskey as a marketplace they're generally the ones that are less likely to move on new ideas they're they're very mm-hmm set in stone but younger consumers are absolutely that they're open to change they're open to pairing they're open to do things completely different um so that that's great to know and you know i i read somewhere that you guys have a pretty good um level of excitement that's happening in asia and you know the people over there generally embrace technology more they have less preconceived notions of what it should be but the north american consumer is very much not like that you know they're they're very stubborn obstinate i don't i don't know what the right word is um but as a, how, how do you get them is, is the bourbon is this you know straight bourbon the the chance like let's go get the stubborn uh westerners yeah no it's really about it's really about the taste right that's how mm-hmm. you, at the end of the day you can talk as much as you want right we can talk here for the next three hours right till till somebody really tries it Right and compares it, maybe bring it, bring it to 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 a tasting with your friends. Right, like I was, I was, I was yesterday in Austin where was somebody claimed, oh, I, I, I took this right, and we had six different six different rice, right, and and he they just felt this one, this one was just amazing, right. Mm-hmm. So so at, at at the end, I believe we have to win the consumers over the over the taste, right. A part of of course also about the sustainability part. Right, where we even even want to want to want to improve going forward, right? Do more towards that, and then to be to be to be more sustainable, and and, and kind of it's it's from it's from it's from California. It's mm-hmm. not your Kentucky, Kentucky, Kentucky rye or bourbon, but but we we believe there's a there's a, there's definitely interest in there. And again, it was we're learning, right? And we now have, of course, we now have a marketing team which we didn't have at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. So as we as we grow and 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 we also have to try things, right, to see to see what goes well. We we're now doing a lot with on premise, which again right, was really, really a shame due to due to COVID, especially here in California, right? We're doing now much more wet tastings in other states. We still can't then do do here. Right. Florida, for instance, right, has been has been has been a success for us. And maybe also because of because of Derek Jeter, who lives who lives who lives over there, right, and and this and this involvement. But but wherever we can do the tasting with people, right, people people realize how good the spirits are. 
Okay. So you mentioned Derek Jeter. Um, so is Derek Jeter uh, – I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask that answer the question so you can answer it because that's how these things always work, right? But so is Derek Jeter? Is he just a celebrity endorsement? Is he a partner? Is he a fan? Is he an investor? Like, what role does Jer- Derek Jeter play in this particular brand? Yeah, he is an he's an investor and fan, <laughs> but he yeah, but he but he actually invested in the in the in the idea, and then what uh, if if I can if I can. I'm sure not using his words, but what what made him really excited about this was the customization possibility, right? Uh, for for athletes, for artists, right? To be mm-hmm. able to actually design their own their own spirits towards the liking what they what they what they actually want, right? So so he he was he he's an investor in in the, in a couple of technology companies, and and yeah, he liked he liked what we are doing. Right, he's a. I believe he's a moderate drinker, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's why you won't see him kind of on a billboard or anything. Right, that was never the that was never the idea, but but so he's an he's an investor in the company, yeah. and also a great great businessman and 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 advisor. It, that that does seem like a very shrewd business approach in the fact that um, if a celebrity wants to get into whiskey. Um, they have a couple of options. They either go to, you know, uh, MGP or someone like that and buy already aged whiskey and put a blend together, throw their name on it and market it out, or they start from scratch. And so now they're two to four years away from having any degree of cash flow unless they want to sell a white spirit in the in between. Um, and it happens pretty regular that celebrities want to get into spirits, whether it be, you know, athletes or actors or whatever, but the, it's such a long game that you can start becoming concerned with your investment with, is this a thing you still want to do? Uh, anything can happen, but having a speed to market for people who are interested in investing like this, like that's a, that's a really smart play. And so I, you know, I, I knew that he was, he was more of a, a business partner than he was just a, a celebrity endorsement and those, cause those are a dime a dozen. There's a bunch of people that are out there throwing their name against a, a brand. Um, there's a significant difference whenever there's money on the line, whenever that's a part of an investment strategy or a business growth for them. Um, and it, I, I like the idea. I, I, I like that a lot is being able to ha- put them in a position where they can build out a flavor profile that they like themselves and have it in the market in a relatively short amount of time to maintain their interest, to maintain their cash flow, whatever they need to do to be able to generate revenue to see a return on it. Cause at the end of the day, it's fun to make spirits, but you have to be able to make profit as well. Or, you know, UNICEF isn't making whiskey. There's no nonprofits in the whiskey (laughs) industry, you know? And so you've got to be able to generate revenue. You have to do that. Um, let me go back through here now. Um, so I came across a different thing, completely unrelated to whiskey. And I'm going to ask you this live penalty. Oh, so so tell me a little bit about life penalty, because this is this is super interesting. I want to hear about this. Yes, 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 yes. So we started life penalty and I'm only only an advisor to the company Mm -hmm. anymore. But the basic idea was to bring to bring the, the life experience right to anybody in the world right athletes right whether that's a soccer game whether that's a, whether that's baseball whether it's you're, you're so limited right to a fan base 
of whoever is able to come to the stadium, right? And mm-hmm. and it actually was triggered by 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 a project we had together with uh, with um, uh, uh, the Barcelona, right? With the and then the idea of of actually being able to capture live much more much more people, right? Rather than just people watching it passively on on TV, right? So what live penalty is, and we're currently or the company focuses now primarily on on soccer where right? it gives it gives people all over the world right the possibility to to play live in this case against the against the against the goalkeeper that's the first that's the first concept the company the company introduced and 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 yeah we started that maybe like a year and then even even in parallel with with uh, bespoken spirits and then and then together with my cousin who is actually also Czech and then they moved back to Prague so the company is now is now in Prague. I decided I love, I love, I love. Even though I shouldn't say this, but I love spirits more than soccer. Uh-huh. And and so I decided to to to, <laughs> to stick around and please yeah, give it give it a try. So what you can do is you can you can shoot a penalty right from your from your from your laptop from your iPhone whatever it is live against the goalkeeper who is who is on stage right in Prague and sometimes they do this also also with, I know they did this with Sparta Prague I believe they did something in Germany and they're also working on Spain I believe they've been just in Spain uh, last week so yeah and again it's I love the idea right of bringing together right through mm-hmm. the through technology that we have today right to kind of bring the life experience uh, to anybody in the world right to interact with the players Right. Other than somebody, somebody in Japan, right? How can they ever right interact with Lionel Messi or whoever it is? Right. It's really, really hard. And that was the idea behind behind life penalty. Yeah. So I love the idea, and I mean, you, you're in the right country to love spirits more than soccer, right? Because we're not it's like <laughs> soccer's in, American well. football is not a huge thing. It's it's growing. It's a growing segment in the United States, but it's never been um never been a, a super significant thing so you know cho- choosing spirits or whatever um and you, you're, you're working as an advisor on that so i don't want to spend too much time but i came across it i was like this is the thing that if it makes it to other sports like people will go nuts over this like the ability mm-hmm. to try to you know try to put a put a, a pitch past a hitter or try to yeah. hit a pitcher like any of these things you know it's in, in basketball and football like there's there's a ton of expandability here. So it was just a super interesting thing. Um, there, there's not a necessity to spend a ton more time on. It. I just wanted to ask you about it because I liked it a lot. Um, so one other thing. So I, I, I read, I don't know if it's your website, another website, you know, and I did a bunch of research like I normally do and, you know, come across facts. So you're taking expired beer, potentially turning it into whiskey. Is this a thing? Yes, yes, yes. No, and it was, it was particularly, Particularly a big thing, right? When when the when the pandemic started, right? Because mm-hmm. as you know, there are ton, tons of rules around how how long you can how long you can keep beer, right? Especially in the on premise, right? So we had a couple of projects with different with different with different distilleries, and then we made I believe we made some beautiful beautiful um, whiskeys out of out of out of out of brands. One surprised me the most that I can't mention, but somebody said, "Oh yeah, I know this. This is a." This is a twelve-year-old Glendronic, right? And like, how oh, interesting that you think this is a twelve-year-old Glendronic, and it was it was literally made from. So either the guy, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, didn't know what he was talking about. But no, we made some. We made some award-winning, winning spirits from, from yeah, from 
from in parentheses wasted wasted beer. And the idea was there was a big there was a big pile of beer. But mm-hmm. then some of some of the large producers, right? They they have like ten percent. It's actually it was shocking to me to hear how much waste beer they actually have, and 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 especially some of the really really big guys because they're so about quality and consistency, and they have a significant amount, so like ten percent. And this is like this is like hundred thousands of barrels, yeah, right, worth of worth of beer that they have to dump that they have to yeah get 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 rid of and the idea was let's let's kind of up up yeah kind of upgrade that right that waste and actually make spirit from it but we're not the first right where who have kind of tried to make to make distillate from 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 beer right the beauty with our process was that we could convert this super quickly to a brown spirit right and we could play around and test around right how to distill uh, because there is some people just hate any any spirit that comes from beer, right? Because the hops is always there, right? Mm-hmm. But then you but then you can play around with the distillation process and then also with the maturation process. And because we have these fast learning cycles, right? We were really really able to make something something beautiful. So, and you know, uh, my my dad started home brewing beer. 25 years ago, 30 years ago, like when the home brewing trend hit the United States, he was one of the first people that was kind of a part of that. And, you know, we've always had the conversation around major brewers um, don't ever get like the Budweiser's of the world don't get enough credit because at the end of the day, you know, whether you like the beer or you don't, they pump out hundreds of thousands, if not millions of gallons of the same product. And generically from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, it tastes almost exactly the same. And keeping a flavor profile that similar over that long of a timeline is pretty tough to do, right? Like this is a thing that whiskey can't get to, um, at least not reasonably. And it makes sense that there would be a ton of waste because they're trying to get to a flavor profile. And if it's off, you dump it. There's nothing more you can do with it. It's beer. You know, there's no way to potentially save it or maybe you can, you know, put it in a can and label it something new, you know, put a new brand on it or whatever, but um, being able to turn it into something more valuable, you know, whiskey or whatever else is, is a, is an incredible thing, you know, going back to sustainability or, you know, impact on environment, not just Mm -hmm. wasting a bunch of resources that went into it. Um, So you're, you're in the spirits industry, you're, you're making rums and you're making whiskeys and you're making all of these things. Um, Are you, are you looking at wine? Like, are you going to try to to get into? Can we age wine quickly or not? You mentioned you mentioned wine, and you like wine, right? I did. I, I have to admit, I did do like wine. There are a couple of couple of reasons why we didn't do wine. One was, for instance, every year you start with something different, right? Mm-hmm. And your and 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 your wine grapes are literally only available once a year, right? right. So the advantage we we have this kind of comes back to the to the learn, learning cycles. Right, you're still stuck with this one year learning cycle, and what is even worse, right? I'm not sure which one's actually worse, but at least as bad is that every time you have a different different quality of grapes, right? Because the grapes, the the, the quality of the of, of the wine depends so much, right, on the on the quality of the grapes, right? And if you ever ever ever, ever talk to a winemaker, right, what what stress they have to go through when to pick the right time and how they're freaking mm-hmm. out when there comes new rain and all these things at the wrong time of the year right they don't wish for they wish for for rain in may but then uh, maybe actually before may but then yeah it's just a disaster so so 
the learning cycles are the challenge there. What we actually can learn for the for the for 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 the aging of wine is is all the things that I talked about, how to treat the wood, and how how that impacts um, what what actually comes out of the wood, right? What we are converting in the wood. So we do believe that at some point in the future, this might be a super. Uh, interesting knowledge again because we have these super fast learning cycles and because we have made ten thousands of different spirits in in the past couple of years right which nobody has ever done right nobody has as much data as we have we believe right on 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 how treating the wood right and all the, all the, all all the actions that are happening so we do believe that that some of the knowledge it's not going to be transferable one to one but everything that is related to the wood we believe so yeah mm-hmm. So one of the big trends in bourbon whiskey right now is, you know, cask finishing, you know, finishing in wine barrels or, or whatever. Um, is, is that a place that you're intending to try to push in on and understand, you know, chemically what's happening there with different cask finishes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually have a couple of couple of customer projects. We have mm-hmm. not done it ourselves, uh, but 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 we had a couple of couple of customers who wanted a, a, a sherry finish. Right, or we we mm-hmm. just actually did a private 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 labeling with the, with the, with a company, uh, company Sauvignon, right? Finish and so yeah, definitely. Okay. definitely. So what's uh, what's something that you like you haven't done yet, but you really are anticipating the ability to do? Like, and, and that maybe it's a real broad question, and maybe you don't have an answer for that. Um, yeah, you know, I'm looking for something that you're just anticipating, like you're 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 right on the edge of a thing, if you have <laughs> that you can share. I think it's really about American malt whiskeys, right? Mm-hmm. I believe, I believe, and it's also relatively relatively young. But we have we are making some, not we. I mean, it's America. We're making some beautiful, beautiful malt spirits, right? Whiskeys, and that's and that's definitely something something where we also want to see. Right? How can we contribute? Right? How 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 can how can we change the flavor profiles that are out there? So so yeah. So like I said earlier, that's probably one of the next things, right? That we definitely want to get out as a special release or in the near future. I'm I'm with you on that. I've I've said it a number of times on different episodes that I've had. I think, you know, we're we're. I've, we'll eventually hit a peak on the bourbon boom in the United States. You know, like eventually it'll happen. There was a, there was a boom for um, craft beer and it peaked and it's still here. It's not going anywhere, but the interest, the, the market share is decreased a little bit. You know, people aren't as passionate about it as they were in the scale that they were bourbon that'll happen with. And I think that we're kind of in this juggling act between the next one being either rum or American single malt whiskey. And I think American single malts are, winning right now um you know they don't have a category definition that's probably the one thing that sort of limits them but you know it's it's i'm, I'm glad to hear that because now i'm going to put on my um little radar to make sure i keep up with what the spoken is doing and whenever an american single malt hits i know now i've got to go out and i've got to you know you got to take my paycheck again you got to you know steal some of my money um, and see what you're doing because you know i've got most of this, well, all of this behind me is bourbon, but over here, there's an entire show for, of American single malts because I'm trying to keep nice. up what's going on in that segment because, yeah. you know, we've scotch drinkers are one of the largest market segments in the world, period. And you, it's hard to get a scotch drinker to drink 
bourbon or rye, but it's not hard to get them to drink an American single malt because you're in a similar flavor profile. Aging methodologies are different. Finishing methodologies are different. Peating is different because, you know, there is peat in the United States, but it's not the same as the peat that's in Scotland. And if you're going to use something else or mesquite, or if you're going to use hickory or whatever cherry, some folks are using cherry. There are ways we can put spins on it that make it very much a North American trend. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's that's a good place to be, um, at least thinking about. And now I know, like I said, you're going to have to take some of my paycheck again. Um, I've, I've got a shopping list now. I've got special batch. American single malt's eventually going to happen. And so I'm, I'm going to be anxiously awaiting seeing what's happening there. Um, is there something that I haven't asked? I've got one last question that I have. But is there something that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? I can't. I can't think of it. Okay. So um, kind of going back and getting an idea of the ethos of the brand, right? Like, so there's this, there's this quote on the website that you guys sort of began out of this idea of being puzzled while wine and whiskey prices are shooting up with age, right? And so you can be like, ah, let's get into this thing. Um, as a brand, are you trying to create a premium spirit at a reasonable price or is the target to create a standard whiskey at a reasonable price. Like what, what is the, what is the initial impetus of bespoken spirits? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Might change over time, but, but, but the initial, the initial idea was really, because we knew, right. To, 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 to excite anybody, right. It had to, had to be able to compete, right. With the, with the best, with the best of the best out there. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a premium, uh, premium, premium category, uh, whiskey, right. We're also still relatively small, Right, but hopefully, as we grow, where well, we can also our, our cost structure will 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 adjust. Right, we we hopefully might be able to add to add something uh, in other categories. Right, of mm -hmm. the of the of the of, of the pricing band, but but we originally, honestly, we kind of looked at who did we beat at competitions. Mm -hmm. Right, whether it was World Whiskies, whether it was San Francisco. Right, we kind of looked at what are they priced at. So we kind of felt like, well, if we if we if we beat them, right, we should be able to to, to price it around around that around that area. Well, so that that generated one last question. I, I keep doing one <laughs> last, one last, one Sorry. last. Um, so you you've got a number of awards, and you know, awards are this thing that you know you can put on the label, and then you talk about it, or maybe you don't talk about it. it, it it's it's this weird place for a lot of brands. They don't necessarily know what they want to do with them. What is the award that you guys have received? That was like, this is the one, this is the one that we're the most proud of. Like that's, I'm, this is it. What, what's that award? <laughs> oh my God. I probably have to mention at least two or three. So of course the very first one, right? The very worst first one that we where we submitted our our original batch, which is which mm -hmm. is the black label, where we submitted it and it won a gold medal at the at the World Whiskey Awards, the World and Wine with sorry, World Spirits and Wine uh, competitions in, 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 in New York. So that was our very first one, right? So that one that one that just after admit blew blew us partially away, right? Mm -hmm. Because this was really the first external external the yeah, proof of the, of the confirmation right that 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 our original batch right the first sort of first whiskey that we that we felt like was good enough to kind of release 
and so that one's that one's super 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 close to my heart. The second one is probably where we won the category winner for our Y whiskey at the World Whiskey Awards, which mm-hmm. I don't know if it, I hope it's also on your bottle. It's supposed to be on every bottle that goes out. And the third one is actually an award that was a connection out of out of out of all the uh, double gold medals that we won in San Francisco this year. But we also got an award that that was connected with and actually have it here on my table. I don't know if you can see this, but we actually got the innovation award of the industry from at the at the at the San Francisco World Spirits competition. That one that one made us super super happy, and, and in particular because it was not just for innovation, but it was the combination of quality and innovation. Mm-hmm. That that made us super super proud. So yeah, so these are the ones that stand out out of the hundred and twenty five that we that we have, I believe, as we as we are counting. Mm-hmm. Well, in 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 awards, if nothing else, they can be validation that you've been doing yeah yeah so, something yeah. right. Yeah. Like you know you you, yeah. you think you're doing a thing well, right? And, and until your boss shows up, or until you know the 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 local community that you work in recognizes you, you don't yeah. ever know. You only have your own impression, but when someone yeah. else says this is good, it's it's validation. It, it, it's pure and simple validation, and you know it's deserved. Like if you get it, like they're not handing these out for free. Like this is not something that's like everybody gets a trophy, um, any of those things. Especially around like an, an innovation award, and you know, like that's sort of the the core of the brand at this point is built on the idea of innovation and you're achieving that, and people are noticing that. And so there's a lot of congratulations that go into there. Um, it, it feels very well deserved. Um, that I don't have any more questions. So if you guys don't have anything, I'm probably gonna, you know, dump you into the green room, do my little closing, and then we can come back and, and wrap up. But I truly appreciate you guys for um, joining me. You know, answering questions. Some of them are, you know, odd and off the wall, and some of them are maybe too random or whatever. But I appreciate you being here um, this afternoon. But I'll give you an opportunity to close out, and then we'll we'll, we'll finish up. Yeah, John. Thank you so much, right, for your time. Thanks for taking the time, right. And I, I think, and I think you had great questions. So it was a okay. was a great time. And hope, I hope, I hope I'll I'll be back when we have our first first American malt whiskey. Hey, absolutely. There, there is no there is no question about a, a need for a return visit. Um, I'm always appreciative whenever people are willing to join me. This is the entire reason that I started this. You know, like I started it to excuse the whiskey bottles, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to have interesting conversations with interesting people. And, you know, this is about as interesting as it gets, you know, trying to hack the idea of traditional whiskey and what we all know to be true within the bourbon industry. It's, it's super, it's super interesting. And so you, you ever want to like really nerd out and get into the details of it, call me back. We'll, we'll, we'll get on a, a live stream. And we'll talk about it. Cause I will, you know, I, I usually have hours upon hours available to me just to, just to talk about this stuff because that's what I, what I came here for. So um, thank you guys for, for joining thank me. You. I'm going to dump you out, do my closing. I appreciate it so, so much. Same here. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of the embellished podcast, a podcast that is focused on product stories, brand ambassadors, storytellers, any of those things. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Um, 
if you hit me up on social media on Twitter or Instagram using Embellish Pod, and you can give me a follow, and you'll always see what's going on around here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, account contact details, so forth. Uh, I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.